told uh, in, in the Old Testament, he told him to build this tabernacle and you see the white perimeter. Um, it basically looked like a big tent fence and there's one gate. There's only one entrance into this tabernacle. And we know that the New Testament, Jesus says that I am the gate or I am the door. So this door right here, gate, represents Jesus, our access into God's presence, our access into having a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. So once you come into the tabernacle, you can see the altar of burnt offerings right there. That's where they would bring their goats or their lamb or their sheep, whatever it was they were going to sacrifice for their sin, and they would tie it up on the altar. The priest would kill that animal right there, and everyone around was reminded that their sin was being covered uh, by the blood of that animal. That animal was taking the punishment that they should have received for their sin. The right past that is the laver, or it looks like a big bathtub. That's where the priests would wash after, uh, you can imagine killing an animal. Have you ever skinned an animal? I've deer hunted before, and I remember the uh, first deer that I killed, um, you know, everybody's excited, and they're like, hey, high five, great job. And then they string that thing up, and they say, here you go. You know, hand you a knife, and Kevin's like, pull right here. And I was like, what? I'm like exhausted. I just, my adrenaline got pumping. You know, I killed my first deer. I was so excited. But then I had the honor and the privilege of skinning the animal. And uh, the smell, y'all, I about lost my lunch a couple times because I ended up, I really gut shot the deer. I was just glad I got her down, but um, <laughs> I gut shot her. So when I was skinning her, the smell, y'all, was horrific. I mean, it was horrible. So I, I can totally understand that uh, at the altar burnt offering, there must have been the smell of just burnt hair and, and dead animal and blood. And, you know, before animals go through that process, they get a little nervous and they may have accidents. So there's all kinds of stuff going on out here in the outer courtyard. So, of course, the priests, before they would have permission, really, or have real access to come into the holy place or the inner court, they would need to bathe. And so they physically had to bathe and to get clean. But for us, this represents the word of God. Because for us to come into God's presence, we need to be washed and cleansed with the word of God. So we may not have to wash our feet. We may not have to unstrap our sandals. But the word of God, every time you read the word, it actually cleanses and it scrubs your thinking. Anybody ever had bad thoughts before? Don't raise your hand. Or yes, we could all raise our hand. Everybody qualifies for that. Doesn't matter how good you are, thoughts come and thoughts go. You just choose to resist them and not think on them. But thoughts come. The Word of God, every time you get in the Word of God, you hear the Word taught, it actually scrubs and cleans your mind. It doesn't only just clean your mind, but it can clean your heart. Have you ever found yourself um, having an attachment to something that you shouldn't? Or found yourself having an attachment to someone you shouldn't. And you just feel, but I just love it. And, it, and I just, I really, I can't let it go. The word of God can actually clean that desire out of your heart. It's amazing. So then once the priests would enter in, they were clean. And they were able to come into the inner courts. And you can see the inner court, uh, the, the holy place, is divided up into two spots. The first long area uh, was called the inner court. And then the second part with just the one table, um, which was the Ark of the Covenant, is called the Holy of Holies. So today we're going to look a little bit at the inner court. And you can see I've got a table right here with some bread on it. 
unleavened bread. This is probably similar to what they had on their table of showbread. And we have the, the, uh, the altar of incense right here, which Kevin taught on a couple weeks ago. And then also we have our lampstand, which he taught about last week, um, which was amazing. So we're going to light this in just a minute. So it's not exactly how it was positioned in there. And God was very specific, you understand. He was very specific about the protocol that it took for these priests to enter into his presence. And he was very specific about how everything needed to be made and built and put together. And there was a reason for all of it. And the past couple weeks, uh, I have to say, uh, Pastor Kevin's done an amazing job at, at explaining a lot of the symbolism and then uh, putting it together with your life and how you can walk away and not just learn some historical fact that's really cool about how God wove everything together in the Bible, but how can I apply this to my life? So today we're going to look at something about the inner court. We're going to look at this table right here. And I don't want to just tell you a bunch of cool facts about how the table was made and what everything represents. Although there's a ton of that. If you like that, I challenge you to, to look that stuff up. It's fascinating and it's fun. And we'll hit a little bit of it. But today I want you to leave with three basic points about communion or three main points that I feel like the Lord was really spotlighting for you today. So I want everybody to say, I'm here. I'm in my place. I'm going to listen. God knew I was going to be here today. He knows what I'm going through, and he knows what I need. All right, so whatever said today is for you. It's what you need to hear. It's what I need to hear. So there's lots of other stuff we can cover, but I want to make sure I said that. In Hebrews 8, it talks about the tabernacle as a pattern for worship. It's a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. Now listen, whenever God gives us an order... I know sometimes whenever he gives us a protocol or a process to follow, sometimes people say, well, why has it got to be that way? I don't want to do it that way. There seems to be this self-entitlement or this self-righteousness that tends to rise up in our culture, in our attitude, in the attitude of our heart. But let me just tell you, before we take one step further into the inner court, the reason why God gives you an order, the reason why he gives you a protocol to follow is for safety. He does it because he loves you. He's not trying to restrict you, but he's trying to free you from some things. So if you can follow his map that he's giving you, it will free you from all the other junk you want to be free from. It will open doors that only going through this way, the doors will open that way. That's the only way. So before we look at one other thing and you think, well, gosh, why'd they have to do that first? Well, that, why'd they have to go, why in the door on the other side? Well, why, why didn't they use gold for that? That's dumb. I'd rather have a golden doorknob. It, it's not about us. It's not about us. But just know God gives you an order to follow. Anytime you're looking in the word of God, anytime there's something and he tells you do this and do it this way, it's always for your safety. It's always because he's your dad and he's saying, I love you so much. I want to get you where you're going. I know where you want to go and I know how to get you there. Just follow, come on, follow the leader, follow the leader. He's not trying to restrict you. He's trying to free you. All right, so to commune means to be in close accord or to be in close communication with another or to share an experience together. To commune. How many of you communed with some people this week during Thanksgiving? Yeah. Just Aaron, that's it? <laughs> Everybody. Everybody had family come in town, or you went to visit someone, or you got together with someone. 
Even I found myself in the, um, in the store being more friendly. Not that I'm not friendly, but other people were more friendly. Did you find that this week? Everybody's out shopping and, how are you? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? You find yourself kind of opening up a little bit more during the holidays. Maybe that's why the Lord has us go through this right now. Okay, the first thing, um, there's a purpose to the order. Washing, all right, before you enter into the inner court, you have to wash with the word. And that's preparation for intimacy. Let me say it one more time. Intimacy. Yes, I said it in church. Intimacy. Most of the time, whenever we say that, our culture has kind of relegated it down to one definition, a specific act, a physical act. But whenever you do that, you miss the whole point of intimacy. Because the act of intimacy, the physical act of intimacy in a marriage is a very small part of the whole marriage. It's an important part, cannot be neglected, and is very important. That's a whole other message. But intimacy, we can't relegate it just down to one specific physical event. We would really be selling ourselves short. So we're going to look at that today. God wants to be intimate with you. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, what other great nation, Moses is talking to the Israelites here, what other great nation has gods that are intimate with them the way that our God is with us, always ready to listen? So God wants to be intimate with you. In other words, he's always leaning in. He always wants to listen to what you have to say. Do you think that he doesn't know what you're going to say? What do you think? You think that God knows what you're going to say before you say it? Yes. But yet here, this, this verse tells us he's always ready to listen. He wants you to talk to him, even though he knows what you're going through. He wants you to spill your heart out to him, although he already knows what's in there, more than you even know what's in there. All right, a definition for intimate. I'm going to give you a couple of, uh, you write down whatever applies to you. Very close association. Or contact, familiarity. There's something about the proximity there, you know, being intimate. You have to take note of proximity or of closeness. I can remember in our first year of marriage, I was learning how to be intimate with God. I was learning what it took for me. And, and if you have, have ever been in a relationship and you uh, have a close friend that you have an intimate conversations with, you know what their buttons are to push. You're like, well, I'm going to stay away from that topic because I can tell they're not ready for that. But you get to know one another. Us, we're in a relationship, a covenant relationship, Kevin and I. And I know, I'm familiar with him. I know his likes and his dislikes and what he, what he wants to do, what he doesn't want to do. I can tell his mood sometimes by, by the look of his face or the way that he's walking. I don't even have to see his face. But I've spent a lot of close association, a lot of time with him. And so my fir our first year of marriage, I was learning how to do that with God because I wanted to have something in me was longing for that closeness with God. But I didn't even have words for it at the time. But I can remember he was working two jobs and, and we barely saw each other really our first year of marriage. And I can remember um, a couple of times whenever I had gone, that's so funny, I had gone in the living room and I think we had the same coffee table. 
I don't know, it was, it was one just like this. This is my coffee table from home, and it's upstairs. <laughs> and I had put a candle on that coffee table, and I went and got some scriptures, and I was in Bible college at the time. And so I got my notes from that day's class, and I turned all the lights out, and I made sure there wasn't anything I needed in the kitchen. I got a water bottle, and I had everything right there. There was no excuse for me to get up because, God, I'm giving you my full attention right now. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm trying here. And I lit that candle, and I turned out the lights, and Kevin was at work. And I remember at that time I had a, um, I don't know if it, if it was a CD at that point, but it was something from the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida. It was a worship song. It was the very first couple of worship songs I'd ever heard. I was still really a baby Christian and newly saved within a year. And um, I, I lit that candle and I had the music on really low and I started to read and go over the word of God. And as I was doing that, my mind was settling from the day. And at the same time, the word of God is just cleaning some things off that I didn't even know were there. And at the time, I couldn't have been able to put this into words. I didn't understand what was going on, but I knew I liked it. And, and the atmosphere in the room changed. It was like this candle was right in front of me, and I'm sitting Indian style right in front of the table, and my Bible is laid open right here. And, and I can remember just being so focused. It didn't matter. I couldn't tell if the dishes were dirty because the lights were off. I couldn't tell if the beds were made because I wasn't focused on that. I couldn't tell if anybody else was in the room because all I had was this one candle and the Word of God, and I'm sitting there trying to be as focused and as concentrated and as close in proximity to God as I knew how to get. And it was amazing. Everything in the room started to just fade away except for me, the candle, and the Bible. And I remember it's like even just the atmosphere in the room changed and God just walked in. If you've never had that before, you can have that. It's not anything special because of me and who I am. He wants that with every single one of his kids. But I very much had purposed in my heart to do that at that time. I even told myself, I don't care if I have to go to the bathroom. You need to go to the bathroom, go now, because you are not getting up. Time, sometimes I would set a timer. But I remember one time, specifically, Kevin came home, and he had worked two jobs, and, and it was probably pretty late. And um, he just opens the door, flips on the light. And I'm like weeping in the presence of the Lord, you know? Like I'm, I am deep in worship and feeling the heart of God. I mean, I just, it was, I just could feel it, literally feel it. And, and he slammed, what you doing? What's for dinner? You got anything to eat? What's in here? Why oh, you got the candles burning? It's hot in here. And I'm just like, ah! What are you doing? You know? I think the first time even I kind of like jumped on him like I was... All of a sudden, I'm in the presence of the Lord, and me and God, boy, we are like this. And then I'm like, hurrah, because <laughs> he just like interrupted that moment. There was an interruption, and I got so frustrated, and I remember going in the kitchen and turning the light on and opening the refrigerator and slamming something down on the, on the counter. I'm like, you want something? Here's something. I think I packed up all my stuff, and I went upstairs. And I, I, did I ever tell you? I don't know if I ever even told you. But I remember after that, because I, I had, you know, a couple nights later, I was ready to do the same thing again, and Kevin was working late another night, and I knew he was working late. I was like, but Holy Spirit, I'm just going to be interrupted. There's just gonna, something's going to come up. I'm just going to be interrupted. He's going to walk in the door again and just mess up my time with you. I might as well just do laundry. I'm starting to take on other things. I'm starting to get distracted. Because one time I got interrupted. The Holy Spirit said, why don't you just start earlier? 
You know what time he's coming home. Okay. <laughs> so I did. I just started earlier, and I knew. I knew when he would be coming. That's when I had set the timer. And so I, I was like, God, I don't want to limit you, God. But then I'm like, but I prayed for this marriage. Like, I prayed for him, you know, and he's mine now. And Lord really convicted me, like, you give me your time, and then you give him your time. And you set that clock if you need to. But I was honoring the, the relationship that we had, too, as well. So, so funny. Yesterday, oh, my gosh. Um, yesterday I was in here, you know, and I was trying to set all this up and figure out what was going to go where. And I, I, the Lord totally reminded me of that moment. Took me back to our first apartment, how I would sit on the floor with that one candle. And so I turned all the lights out in here, and just the exit lights were on, you know. And I lit one candle, and I'm sitting right there. And I'm just smiling because I'm like, God, you're just so good. He just took me right back in that moment. And then all of a sudden, I hear, bum, 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 bum. And my kids, come on, Dad. I can hear them coming in the door. And I just busted out laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. And, and Noble opens the door. Mom, you in here? <laughs> yeah, I'm in here. Come on in. You know, I just left the candle burning. I just giggled. And that may explain why I was kind of silly yesterday. But they came in. And I'm just kind of looking at him. He was standing there at the counter. And I'm just going like this. Like, hey, babe. I love you. I love you. But it reminded me how far the Lord has brought me. How when you set your heart, your face to do something, like I'm going to do this, I don't care how hard it is. You decide to go to nursing school and you've got everything against you, but you set your will, I'm going to finish this course if it kills me. We do that so many times for natural things and natural goals that we set in our life. But yet when it comes to giving God his time, we always put it on the back burner and we say, well, I got to do laundry. Well, he's going to be home in 15 minutes, so let me get everything ready. How do we do that? Why do we do that to our Lord and our King who gave his blood for us so that we can go to heaven? And not just for that, but so we can have a good life on earth. I think, number one, we just get distracted we totally get distracted. So there's something about focusing in on what you're going to do and then setting, setting your mind to do it. And then number two, the, the other thing, you can't fake intimacy. You certainly cannot fake it to God. And I think that scares people sometimes because they've never been intimate with God and they're not sure if when they get to that moment, are they going to know what to do? Are they doing the right thing? Is anybody understanding what I'm saying? They want to have that closeness with God, but they're afraid that they're going to mess up. But God doesn't see you that way. He is longing for you to come to him. He is longing for you to come together as the body of Christ this morning so that Jesus can be intimate with the bride. Because you can have an intimate time with Jesus at home, but Jesus can't have intimacy with his bride until we all get together. So there is something really important going on here this morning and all across our city as the body of Christ is getting together. Jesus wants to be intimate in those moments. Some more definitions of intimate means a warm friendship developing through long association, a very personal or very private nature. It's amazing how we can all get together in one room, but yet Jesus can be so personal and so private and so detailed with you right at the exact point in your life, whatever you're going through. He will totally, he will blow things wide open for you. 
Sometimes it only happens though when we get together like this. Another definition for intimate is very close friend or a confidant. My confidant. Close friend. Intimate friend. We're, we're going to do something. We're going to turn the lights off here. And if, if you'll come up and light these for just a minute. And I'm, I'm going to ask for you not to get up just for a few minutes because I don't want you to trip over, you know, somebody else's foot or purse or something for just a minute. But I want to take you, um, I want to take you into the tabernacle for just a minute so that we can actually see what the atmosphere was like. Because for the past few weeks, we've talked about how it was an intimate setting and there was a certain smell. Kevin had lit the incense up and, and it smelled all in here. And how your prayers have an incense and aroma when you pray and when you praise and when you worship God, there is an incense or a smell that goes up to heaven. Well, right now, I just want, I'm going to take all of our senses, and oh, we'll just leave that. We'll just do with a candle. But I, I would like for you to, to turn um, all of it out. Yes, thank you. So it'll take just a minute for your eyes to adjust. I can only imagine how the the priests would come over here to the table of showbread. And they would sit. And I don't know about you, but this reminds me of like a candlelight dinner. An intimate setting where you sit close to the table. Almost to the point to where you feel like you need a whisper. Like I can just bring my voice down. And this is what God wants with you and with me. But it takes a lot sometimes for us to get to this point of shutting everything else out, putting our full attention on him. This bread in the Hebrew, they said, they've interpreted it to be uh, the bread where God shows himself. So God wants to show you himself. He wants to sit down at the table with you and say, how's your day? Although he already knows. He wants to tell you that, hey, I've got something you need. Go ahead and eat. I've got some food for you. And it's much more than just food for your stomach. I can nourish your soul. I can calm your emotions. I can even physically help your body and heal your body. But it's in moments like these when it's so easy, he just can do that because we've given him our time, and our attention. And we've come close to him, close in proximity. There's something to being close. And so a lot of times you may hear at church whenever people say, I want everybody to scoot up to the front, and I want you to come in. They're trying to get you close. And as uncomfortable as it may feel sometimes for you to be sitting elbow to elbow with somebody you do not know, you are there for the same purpose, and you are all in one accord to seek his face. 
God can do amazing things when we all get, when our attitude of our heart all lines up like that. You can bring the lights back up. Thank you. So number one, number one, God wants to be intimate. In communion, it's an intimate moment. Or God wants intimacy with you. Number two, is it's the great exchange. So right, exchange or great exchange. The whole thing about communion, the reason why we do it is because we share in what Jesus suffered so that we can also share in the benefits and everything that he obtained, everything that he got through that suffering because he didn't get it for himself. He was already doing really good. He's God. But the whole reason why he went through the suffering and the agony is for you, for me. So communion, it's the great exchange. We're looking at the great exchange. Isaiah 53 Four and five. And New King James says, Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrow. Yet we esteem him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And I encourage you to read that slowly. Go through each line. I went ahead and I put the message in here for you because it's so good. It says, but the fact is, it was our pain that he was carrying. So when you take communion and you look at that bread, and as the priests were looking at that bread, they were thinking about, they didn't know Jesus at that time, but they were thinking about the animal they had just killed that took their sin. Now, we, they had to do that yearly, you understand, because it was just a covering. That blood was not sinless, perfect blood, but Jesus' blood. Every time we take the bread, and before you take the bread, you think about him, his body, what he took upon himself. It says, uh, he carried our pain, our disfigurement, all the things that are wrong with us. How many things can you list that you think are wrong about yourself? You're your own hardest critic. Be critical of yourself during this time. When you take communion, I, I can assure you that the, the priests were very critical at this time of their own self because they had seen people who had entered into the Holy of Holies who had not judged themselves and not been as critical on their own motives and intents of their heart, their own feelings and thoughts, their own physical acts that they had committed, and they died. So look at all the things that are wrong with you. It says, we thought he brought it all on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failure, but it was our sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sin. He took the punishment that made us whole. And through his bruises, we get healing. He takes your grief. He takes your sorrow. 
And in return, he gives you joy. He takes your sickness and your disease. And in return, he gives you wholeness. Mental, physical health. Wholeness, completely whole. He takes your shame, your guilt, and he gives you peace. So I left a blank there. What, what has he taken of yours? He took my blank and he gave me blank. Make that personal for you. What has he taken for you? Because we need to be reminded of this all the time. Not just once a week if you do communion once a week. Not just once a month if you do it once a month. Not just once a quarter. But every day we have to learn how to live in this place. He took this from me. Because if we don't, we pick it right back up and we just carry it around. And then everything he did on the cross, it purchased our freedom, it purchased our access into heaven. But the whole time your feet are on this earth, he wants you healthy, happy, full of joy, prospering at what you set your hand to do, full of peace. Although there's a storm going on around you, although there's a broken, dying world going on around you, you carry that on the inside. That's how you're the light of the world. You walk through stuff, but man, on the inside, you've got this steady, bold, peace, confident king. Communion reminds you that your sin is not held against you. It's been paid for. It's been paid for. That thing you think always keeps you out of his presence. Well, I'm just not good enough. Well, if you would have known what I was doing last night, I shouldn't even be here. I remember sitting in church thinking, what am I doing here? If they only knew me, oh my gosh, they would be kicking me out the door right now. And that's not true. Nobody at church feels that way. That's the enemy trying to make you feel bad to get up and leave like you don't belong. That's a lie. I felt that way before. And let's keep going, number three. Communion means never being alone again. This was a big one for me. Never being alone again. When I totally understood what Jesus had done, what he had taken from me, and, and, and I learned about communion and what it means, what it symbolizes. And, and when you have those moments, the event of communion, you really heartfeltly look at your own and examine your own self. You judge your own self. You be critical of your own thoughts and, and motives and intents in your own heart. And then you remember the, his body that was broken. There is something that happens in that time that is way more than just a physical act of putting something in your mouth and then drinking a little tiny cup and, and reading Isaiah 53. There is something far deeper that takes place in those moments when we do that event because you understand that event is like an anniversary. It's a remembering of what he's done. The event of communion is far different than having communion with God every day. Not saying that you can't take bread and have the cup every day. You can do that. But you can't do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
But yet we are still called to live in communion with God through Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing relationship. My marriage is far more than an event. The wedding day was the event. But my marriage is far more. That is best speck of what our marriage is. It's far more than that. So the event of communion is like the anniversary. Celebrating, remembering what he's done. But yet we're supposed to live in communion with him every day. So back to never being alone. It's possible for you to reach a level of intimacy with God that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you cannot be separated from him. When I started learning how to have these intimate moments with God and I really just tried and I just, I just, I just went for it. I lit the candle, sit down. Nobody told me to do that. I didn't hear a message on it. I just was trying to get focused. Something about those moments worked something in me because even though at those moments I didn't have bread and wine right there, I was still being intimate and communing with my father. And it worked something in me that never again after that point did I ever feel alone in my life. Never, never, never. And before, I used to be very fearful, and there were times when I felt like somebody was looking in at me in the window. I lived alone in my apartment, and I would be very fearful at times. I would run from my car to the stairs and run up to the door because I was afraid. I felt like something was coming to get me or somebody was watching, and I felt alone at those times in my life. So learning this and learning how to have intimacy with God and how to commune with him and then having that, he is always with me. Don't you know that if we always walk around with that sense of God is with me right now, it will change how you act. It will change the way you talk. It will change even sometimes where you decide to go. It will help you not sin. Having communion, walking in communion with God every day. So you can listen to songs of worship, anything that reminds you of what Jesus has done for you. I was reminded of the, uh, the Passion of the Christ yesterday. Have any of you seen Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ? It's been a co- I, you should totally watch that. There's not any English in it. So you, you just settle down. Get you a bottle of water because it's not a popcorn movie. You get you a bottle of water and a box of tissues, and you sit and you lock the door and you put your phone on airplane mode, and you say, nothing's going to take my attention away from right now. Because it is one of the best depictions I have ever seen of what Jesus has done for us. And I had watched some clips yesterday and it brought me right back to the first time I remember seeing it. I just had tears running down my face because it's very well, very close, as close to scripture as you can get. Hebrews 8.10 says, I'll imprint my laws upon their minds even upon the innermost thoughts and understanding, and I'll engrave them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He wants so bad. He longs for you. He longs for this intimate, this personal, this private time with you. And any time we, we decide to do laundry or to go somewhere else, and we cancel our private time with him, we are turning our back on Jesus. 
We are like the Roman soldiers who handed him over. We are devaluing what he did on the cross. The last thing, I put the warning at the bottom. It's 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. 27. It says, so then whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you're not unworthy. Just sometimes the way we act and the sometimes the way we behave, we come before him in an unworthy manner. It says, we'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine himself before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without recognizing the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. That means died. If we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Anytime, man, Jesus, listen, God just doesn't want you to be lukewarm about it. When he's talking about the bread and the cup, don't be lukewarm about it. And if you're not sure where you stand and you're ever in a service and you're not sure if you're lukewarm or not, you wait. Wait until you know you're not lukewarm anymore. Because he says right here, the penalty, it says, that's why many among you are weak and sick and have died. And I'm all about taking it as much as you want to have the event of communion. But I, I have to, Ken, I would be doing you injustice if I did not point out this warning because we still have, the body of Christ is still weak in many areas. It is still sick in many areas. And there are many who have died and should not have, but it is because they did something out of protocol. They did not follow the process. Your mama can't judge your heart. Your spouse cannot judge your heart, the motives and intents. It is something only you can do for yourself. And then he says, recognize the body of Christ. And some people think, um, some scholars say, you can read up about it. It talks about how, you know, to love one another and to acknowledge the body of Christ, which I, I, I think that's true and that does line up with it. But I think even more so, he's wanting us to look at the body of Jesus that was broken, that was bruised, that was beaten that was scarred, that was so disfigured you couldn't even recognize him as a man. Remember that. Whatever it takes to get you mentally there, that's what it takes. Otherwise, if we don't do that, we're devaluing something that's priceless. And God is very serious about that. He doesn't play with that. You're devaluing his son. You're putting value of something else above what Jesus did for you. Now, I know, surely, we would never knowingly do that, right? Nobody would ever knowingly want to do that. So today, it's just kind of like a wake-up call. It's kind of a sobering service, I understand. But today, it's just to make sure whenever we do the event of communion, I know for sure we're doing it on Thursday, um, and then anytime you take communion, to make sure you're putting great value, all your attention, all of your focus on that moment on Him, because everything else will fade away. Everything else will pass away. It's all about Him. Amen.